I'm a 100% all in type person. So just go all in on family and go all in on your business and go all in on your hobbies and your creativity and, and just keep doing that until something needs to change and then change it. Hello and welcome to another episode of Golden Hour Podcast, produced by the Polar Pro Studio. I'm your host, Dave Mays, and today's guest is filmmaker and YouTuber, Cody Warner. Cody makes videos online for his audience of subscribers and followers, not only entertaining them, but inspiring them to go out and create. He shares tips and tricks to become a better creator and also has a consulting business for other content creators out there who need guidance. Hashtag no small creator is his mantra and his positive attitude on content creation is infectious to hear. Without any further ado, let's listen in on my conversation with Cody. How are you, man? I think this is the first time we met in person, sort of. <laughs> oh, really? I feel like, yeah, man. No, that that could be. That could be the case. I'm doing well. well. How are you doing? <laughs> yeah, I think we tried to maybe link up at Vid Summit, and it didn't work out. Yeah, yeah. But um, your yeah, face but... is just so familiar to me that it it just <laughs> feels like it feels like we've like been hanging out for years. But I guess that that's true. That happens often, actually. Same here, though. Yeah, I think, um, I don't know what it was. Maybe you followed me on Twitter or something. I got your phone number, and I just, like, called you cold one time. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, hey, <laughs> let's be friends. <laughs> yeah, right, right. I think uh, it's funny how people, like, they don't take advantage of phone calls as much as they used to. No, I have heard that it's coming back a little bit, though. Especially during the uh, the old Rona. <laughs> exactly, exactly. People are like, oh... You mean there's a way to communicate where you don't have to sit in front of a computer, see somebody. I've been reading all the articles about like Zoom fatigue and um, yeah. all you know, all of that, and like some of the reasons psychologically or almost unconsciously why it is so tiring. And mm. I've been loving it. Well, can you can you give me a synopsis on that? Yeah, one of the biggest ones is that. Uh, I mean, people like you and me are pretty good at this, uh, looking at the camera as opposed to looking at themselves or the other people on the screen. <laughs> yeah. But the lack of eye contact um, that you can make with someone while they're talking to you is like unconsciously or subconsciously just really hard to handle. And also, that was the main one that stuck out. The second one was there's really no natural kind of pause or any sort of thing to get distracted by that is yet socially acceptable in a zoom call you know normally when you're like sitting down for coffee someone's walking by or you know something happens you go and get your drinks or whatever you yeah. don't have any of that and you're just yeah. kind of supposed to be always on and then the last one was in a regular meeting in a workplace you would generally you know have 10 minutes probably to walk maybe from one meeting to another or walk to the coffee shop or drive even to the next place but zoom calls are so easy to just kind of schedule like 9 to 9 50 10 to 10 50 11 to 11 50 that you have no yeah. kind of like downtime in between so just very uh very fatiguing <laughs> that's crazy i saw on your tweet yesterday about the enneagram and you said that you were in the middle of a zoom call and you just got up and left is that right right right, right. yeah so it wasn't just me and somebody else it was like a group of us okay. and I, my wife was there too so again it wasn't like super weird but so you know we're both talking they start talking about these minute details and i'm just like 
without even thinking about it, I got up and like went to brush my teeth or something. And, and Amber laughed at me. She's like, you know, you just like left. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. But if you had everybody over at your house and stuff, maybe you'd get up and get some chips or like a drink or whatever, right? Like, right. Probably. Mm. Unfortunately, I'd probably get on my phone is, is probably if we're being <laughs> honest, that's probably what would happen. That's true. And I think there is a, a little bit of an age difference between using Skype and FaceTime. Uh, my parents, for example, whenever I call them, it's like a, this big event. Like they have to I call them on their phone and they're like, oh, wait, hold on. Let me get my iPad. And then they like, they have to call yeah. me back on the iPad and then they both sit perfectly next to each other in a chair and they just like, so how are you? Right, right. You know, they just look at us <laughs> in longing eyes because they right. miss their uh, grandchildren. But yeah, that's, that's a tough time, man. <laughs> but anyways, yeah, it's crazy stuff, though, what's going on right now. And that's an interesting uh, synopsis on that. I, I would agree that I can relate to feeling exhausted more so now than than ever for some reason mm, even mm-hmm. though i'm home i i've been able to um sleep decently for the most part but uh yeah i don't know what it is i'm just exhausted all the time <laughs> yeah there's a lot there's a lot of factors there's a lot of things that our brains are doing behind the scenes that i think uh and even just the fact that it seems like we shouldn't be exhausted just having to deal with that like still feeling exhausted but but also feeling like you shouldn't feel exhausted, I think that's exhausting. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. Well, we're here with Cody Warner, uh, the one and only, by the way. Um, thanks for being on the show, man. Of course, dude. Thanks for inviting me. So I don't really know your full story, and I'd like to get into that, but I want to start with how I discovered you and I think how a lot of other people discovered you, which was on your YouTube channel and uh, specifically when you started doing daily vlogs and then even more specifically from there was a huge uh, exposure and how I found you was your collaboration with Peter McKinnon. Um, mm-hmm. And I just would love for you to kind of walk me through that time period of your life um, and what was going on. Why did you start the vlog and, and kind of the, what happened during that time? I mean, you know, that's a, a big topic, so let's just get into it. But yeah, um, it was an exciting time on YouTube. You know, it was the Casey Neistat kind of era and the Peter McKinnon uh, moment when he started to blow up. Um, what was going on and how did, how did you know, how did that change your life? How did that all happen? Yeah. So back to the very beginning of, of starting the vlog, I just, you know, I was building a video production company and um, started to get more into kind of vlog style video and like just watching it, watching Casey Neistat and uh, watching Peter McKinnon and watching some of these people who were making really cool stuff on YouTube, like started consuming that a lot more. And then uh, just really was trying to ramp up marketing in the video production company and trying to think of ways that I could do a good job of that and did have this kind of strong sense that, you know, I should really start documenting my life more because I just felt like something big, you know, something big is going to happen. I was, I think, like 31 or 32 at the time. And, you know, it's like maybe it was like a maybe I was having a midlife a quarter life crisis or something like that. But, you know, felt like something big was going to happen and should start documenting and um, started the daily vlog. And, and for me, like that 
format of daily just made it so much easier because uh, it really killed my perfectionism. I just had to put a video out every day. I had this time limit of it couldn't be more than six minutes, which was, I think, in some ways, uh, you know, the way I pitched it in the beginning externally was like, because you don't have much time because we're all trying to get stuff done. So it's only six minutes long so you can watch it. Um, but really more internally, I think it was like, it can't be so long that I'm staying up all night or waking up at 12 a.m. to try to get this thing cut before the, the morning. So yeah, yeah, just started it. And, and then even maybe underneath all of that, I just really wanted to prove to myself that I was the, that I was able to do that, that I was able to make a commitment to say, I'm going to daily vlog. I'm going to be a daily vlogger and then actually do it. Um, it was kind of like this self proof thing that I had, that I had going on at the time. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so started it was, was vlogging every single day. It it was going really well and I was just really enjoying it. I, we still, you know, we still look back on those vlogs. My kids love watching those vlogs because they're, they're younger. They're like, uh, one or two years younger and, uh, yeah, love it. And then, so as, we're going like in, in the YouTube community is such a rad, such a cool place. Um, you add Twitter into the mix and it really does start to just feel like this very small world of mm-hmm. people who are making videos on YouTube. And uh, yeah, so about six or seven months into the, into the whole daily vlog project, uh, Peter McKinnon reached out to me via DM on Twitter and was like, Hey man, I saw a couple of your videos. I would love to make a video with you. You should come up to Toronto. And, uh, so about two weeks later, drove, I drove up, I'm in Pennsylvania on the East coast of the United States, drove up to Toronto, which was like about eight hours and, uh, stayed over for, I think two or three nights downtown Toronto. And, uh, mm-hmm. two of my daily vlogs, you know, we're with, we're with Pete. And then, uh, he actually also recorded a video, which is the one that a lot of people saw and, uh, and, and put it out there, which was called, do you even matter? And it was this idea that regardless of your, the number of subscribers that you have, like that, that is not a, that in no way represents your value or your creativity or like what you're putting out there into the world. Like that doesn't matter. What matters is the making. Mm -hmm. And and that's what his video is about. That's awesome. And as you scan through your, your videos, I went (laughs) and looked at the oldest videos you have. You have stuff back when YouTube was first announced 13, 13 years ago, you have a video that you posted. Yeah, dude. That's insane. So you're like a you're a, you're an OG YouTuber, basically. Yeah, kind of. Like I didn't know, you know, I didn't know back then what it was that it was this kind that it really was a social media like that. That was when Facebook was still you needed a college email account, a university <laughs> email account yeah. to get onto Facebook. Um, social media was, in at least in my opinion, or or in my experience, I should say, like just being born. And uh, yeah, YouTube was really becoming that sort of community, amazing place at that time. But I had no idea. I was basically I was just using it as like, oh, I made a thing in film school, and let me throw it up here on the internet. Yeah, it's a place to host videos. 
But you're you're you actually have some crazy view numbers on some of those. There's one that uh, knife fighting tournament has twelve thousand views on it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and that I mean that's just like the power of compounding views, right? It's, I mean, like yeah. obviously it would have to be some sort of interesting video. I mean, it's a but good really it's a good title. Pine cones. Yeah, <laughs> those are we're not they're not knives. They're pine cones, and it's this fun competition <laughs> my cousins and I are having on on family vacation. But um, it's hilarious. Yeah, like there's another one like underwater swimming or something. There was another one mudsliding with uh, upwards of 10,000 views. And it's like, it's just crazy how like this is just stuff that I was throwing up on the internet, never checking the views or or knowing about any of this until I started YouTube. Then I go back, I'm like, oh, look at this. (laughs) Yeah, it's something that you use to, you just hosted it there and sent your links to your friends, right? And your family, right? Or didn't even do that. Like really just... (laughs) Just, just put them on the internet, yeah. right? It's like just so it'd be on the internet. That's really how I used to think about it, crazy yeah. as it sounds. Yeah, exactly. Um, did you ever get into Vimeo like six years ago yeah. when that was a big thing? Oh, totally. We especially in our video production company, like we were like the snooty, like put your nose up, like YouTube is for YouTube is for the amateurs. Like we yeah. are professionals, so we use Vimeo, which is yeah. complete baloney, obviously, but. Um, <laughs> It's like it it's like we want to pay but... hundreds of dollars a month to just host stuff on the uh, yeah. on the internet. Yeah. It wasn't it wasn't baloney back then. That was the that was how people thought. I mean, yeah, I still. Right. In fact, I got an email yesterday that said that Vimeo just charged me sixty dollars for my Plus account for another year, and I was like, why am I still paying for this? Oh my gosh. Yeah. Uh, although yeah. I I did start to think, what if I start putting just long form like uh, camera tests there like mm-hmm. and, and just put a 20 minute you know a b 1080p versus 4k barely any editing but just put it up there so mm-hmm. that people can pixel peep and yeah I you can to... always go and pixel peep there yeah i've seen people use it for that but again i think there's even free ways to do that that uh, <laughs> yeah, true. you know what i mean that <laughs> Just make another they, just make another YouTube channel that's not focused on subscribers and just point people there and just right. say, hey, you know. Yeah, right. you're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I should I'm trying to justify my sixty dollar purchase, Cody. Okay. Yeah, you gotta I hear you. There's some sort of psychological concept. Going there. <laughs> they still have the uh password protected private video, which I wish YouTube would implement. I like having mm. a password for a client. So like if you did a wedding, for example, you can put their last name as the password and not, you know, not make it a public video, not make it unlisted, you know. Right. But right. I don't know, whatever. But <laughs> I digress. Um, <laughs> but yeah, about two years ago, I discovered you through that and through some of your really great inspirational videos. Um, one that stands out to me that I remember seeing, and I think it was actually just kind of suggested to me on the homepage before I ever followed you. It was a video titled, The Number One Way to Make Money with YouTube Skills Today. And mm-hmm. that video has over 30,000 views. You made it uh, a year ago. Maybe that's not it. Maybe it was something else similar to that one. Um, posting consistently and other challenging things, maybe. Because um, mm-hmm. the thumbnail looks similar to that. So I don't, I don't remember. But uh, it was just you like standing in a room giving really good advice, basically, is the one that I'm thinking of. I don't know what yeah. that one is. But yeah. um, that, that really, to me, shaped you, in, at least in my mind, as... Um, a YouTube kind of expert or like a inspirational 
speaker, uh, you know, basically a teacher, not just a vlogger. And mm-hmm. uh, can you speak to that and like your skills in teaching and, um, you know, do you have a passion for teaching and sharing? I know that you're, you do events now and you, you speak as well um, because you weren't just yeah. vlogging. You were also like giving, you were giving some good value to the viewers. Right, right. Yeah, I, the way that I generally think about it is is encouragement. I really get a lot of energy from encouraging other people to to do stuff. Um, so that's where, like, I don't really have a major passion for teaching. I wouldn't say. Okay. But any any like knowledge or thing that I do have, if I feel like it can be encouraging for me to share that with somebody to help them along the path of like whatever they're doing, their creative vision, then that does hype me up a bit, you know? So, um, but yeah, I think just, I think just very generally and like the way that I kind of formatted and styled my daily vlogs was that everyone had to be based around some sort of message or some sort of like value takeaway. And that like watching them back now, I feel like a lot of them, are very cringy because I did force messages into them. But <laughs> at the time, you know, like like a lot of them, I just was like, ah, I wish I just would have documented what happened that day because obviously that's going to be more value to, valuable to me as just a the person who made the video. But at the time, I was really trying to focus on how can I encourage people who might be having a hard time or a tough day or a hard time of life or building a small business or whatever, how can I encourage them just a little bit today? So I tried to pack that into every single video. And then that sorted, that sort of warped into teaching some stuff like tutorial style or some like motivational speaker type stuff or, you know, that sort of inspiration, motivation, teaching sort of thing. That's kind of the progression of that. So let's hop all the way back now to your origin stories as a filmmaker. Mm -hmm. Um, Did you go to film school? Yeah. Well, yes and no. So I didn't go to traditional film school. I went to a liberal arts college and I, uh, I majored in communication and then I had a concentration in film production. So Basically, what that meant was like there was a couple of electives that I took uh, that were, you know, like 16 millimeter film or digital video editing. This was in 2000 and like six, seven, and then I graduated in 2009. So almost all of the technology um, that we learned in those elective classes is like completely obsolete now. But those that really was the foundation of like one class I took was the art and science of story. Um, one of my favorite classes was communication theory. Um, just the different ways that people send messages out into the world and how to uh, get people to think, how to change people's minds, like all of that. I was always intrigued by that stuff. So that was my kind of film school experience. Awesome. And then from there, did you start doing freelance filmmaking or would you work for a company or yeah I um I started doing freelance when I was in college and but just like very on the side and like very few and far between maybe like one project a quarter or something like that Uh um 
and I had a full-time job as a fundraiser trying to raise money for the college that I graduated from actually first. But uh, just I did that for two and a half years. Really wasn't for me. I'm much more of an entrepreneurial spirit in that I don't I don't like having to implement other people's ideas and strategies. I like building and thinking of ideas and strategies myself and then implementing those. Um, yeah. So... Yeah, that's the, that, that would, oh, so right after I left that job, then I started, then I went hardcore into freelance, both video and sales for this website company, uh, just like a contracted salesperson, and then started the video production company a year after that. Cool. And then you, you keep mentioning your video production company with Vimeo and all that that you were, you were talking about. Can you speak on that and what that was? Yeah. Yeah. So that was in 20. 12 i believe um we started no i guess 2013 we started two partners and i started a video production company which was started out weddings and then um kind of swung the whole way over to commercial and then we added weddings back in later on but i i was a part of the company for five years about and then at the end of the fifth year uh that was the year that i was daily vlogging and my partners bought me out of the production company at the end of that year. So I think it was either uh, maybe November 1st of 2018, my, my partners bought me out. So did that literally allow you to, to experiment with the vlogs financially then? Or were you making money outside of the vlogs? Um, so yeah, no, then at that point, my really only income source was the YouTube channel, sponsorships, like, you know, ad integrations, Patreon, um, some of the speaking stuff, you know, like it was all very, at that point, after I kind of stopped doing, or after I got bought out of my video production company, it all became very centered around that. And then only recently have I really started to add in a lot more freelance work again, because I enjoy it. Yeah. Do you recommend going kind of all in like that? Was it stressful for you and your family or because you had some savings and stuff? Was it not? Oh, we didn't have savings. No, we, I was like $50,000 in credit card debt when they bought me out of the the company. So yeah, like we didn't, we didn't have any savings, but I think, um, I think that it's, that's a, such an interesting question. So like ever since I left my like regular job and fundraising back in 2012, that was sort of all the norm, like for better, for worse, and mostly for worse was like not knowing where money was coming from, not knowing what was next. It was like a very wild, crazy adventure. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't, it wasn't like a huge shocker transition for me to get bought out of the company just because we were so used to kind of the, the roller coaster ride that is being a small business or an entrepreneur. But uh, no, I definitely wouldn't recommend it. I would recommend, <laughs> um, you know, saving up a six month to a year long, like reserve of, yeah. of if you could live off of money mm-hmm. um, for a year, that'd be ideal. And then really even beyond that, like if you have a job, not necessarily that you like, but one that you can handle, one that doesn't drain all of the life out of you. And there's aspects of it that you enjoy. 
keep that job for as long as you possibly can um, and really just do YouTube, still give YouTube a hundred percent of the effort that it deserves and still build it like it is your only income stream. Like go hard by don't, don't devalue it just because you have some other job, but keep the job if you can, because to have uh, an income stream that isn't at all related to views or sponsors reaching out or any of that stuff is just very, it's freeing, you know, it's a very freeing mindset. And so that's why I've added in uh, a lot of freelance stuff back in now because I like the freedom that it puts me in my mind uh, in. Yeah. And sometimes, yeah, if you get a, a big freelance gig that can bankroll you for two months or what, two or three months. Right. And so that, right. that can really help. Um, it is hard to, to balance both, especially when you're starting out because it, I don't know. I, I can relate to your story. I quit my job and went full-time YouTube and I told my wife, we're going to be broke for one year and just tr- just trust me. I think if I do two videos a week every week for a year, I have a feeling that it'll pay off and it did, but also that may be a little bit of timing, you know, it was 3 years ago. Um the YouTube camera review space was a little different 3 years ago. There was less people doing it. Um Uh-huh. So, yeah, but um I don't know, is it a personality thing maybe that that like it didn't bother me to do that and it didn't bother my wife that we were basically broke for a year (laughs) yeah probably yeah Yeah. and really and just it's about communication especially especially with a partner you know if you've got a partner in the mix or or kids it's it's just about communication and it's about about trying to i mean that's what that's what life with other people is period is like how do we come together and yeah. You don't want to be in this soul-sucking job and you don't want to have to be, you know, making all of these allowances all around you in your life. Like you want whatever it is that you want, it's, it's coming together to be able to figure out how mm-hmm. that's going to work for for you and your family. So when you started your video production company with the weddings and stuff, was that kind of during the DSLR revolution with the 5D and the 7D and all that kind of stuff? Yeah, yeah, we started on a 7D, a 5D, and then I bought a 60 as soon as that came out. Yeah. And uh, and then, yeah, it wasn't until like 20, maybe, it was probably 28, like to the end of 2017, we bought, I think, five Panasonic GH5s, and we switched over mm-hmm. our whole line to Micro Four Thirds. But, uh, but yeah, we were shooting, we were shooting Canon full frame okay. 5D, 60, yeah. and then we had that. So that makes a as well. that makes a lot more sense to me now why you were always known as the crazy manual focused vlogger because just like you I grew like I started my career in with the 5D and the 7D which were fully manual cameras they didn't have a flip screen they didn't even have focus peaking on the camera you just had to use like a Z finder or if you were right. if you were lucky you'd have a monitor from a small HD or something but we rarely had monitors on it i was just looking at the back of the screen shooting a wedding fully manual and i guess because the image was slightly softer than what we have now it they said it was 1080p but it honestly i think it was like a 720p up res it was really right. really low quality 1080p for those cameras like you could kind of get away shooting it wide open on a 5d manual focus with no focusing aids whatsoever because right. it kind of allowed for it but also i think it's a skill that after right. shooting 300 weddings it was like i knew exactly where to put my hand on the focus ring to pull that focus point and 
I feel like I've lost that skill a little bit now with autofocus. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, it's a, it was a, it really became an art and it became like, um, I have, I have a bunch of my like vintage adapted, uh, manual lenses right here, but like, yeah. you know, there's no even, there was no even auto option on these things. And we would shoot on a lot of, uh, vintage. Like I, my favorite lens to shoot on for weddings was, um, a super Pentax super Takamar from 1976, you know, so just nice. full metal, like amazing, but it really became like an art form and like the focus pools and the, the slightly out of focus elements and, you know, seeing a bit of that manual focus look, whatever that means in the video, like became part of it's cinematic. Our cinematic style, yeah. I guess, or, or even if it's not cinematic, cause who knows what that means, but like our, just our style for our brand. And, um, it's like, do you like the way this looks or you don't? And yeah. if you don't, then you shouldn't hire us. <laughs> well, that's one of the things that was so funny about uh, your vlogging. Uh, Peter McKinnon was totally razzing you about it forever. Um, yeah. You yeah. shot your vlogs on the Voigtlander 10.5 mil on the GH5. Is that right? Yeah. So that wasn't until actually after um, a little while after uh, I went up and did the video with Pete in Toronto. Um, at that time, I was shooting on a 17 and a half Voigtlander. Uh -huh. uh, so it was 30, you know, 35 millimeter equivalent. Yeah. Like, and I'm holding it out, vlogging it's with too it. Tight. And I, shot, I mean, I shot two, I shot 192 vlogs that way or, yeah. or more, 210 or something. So, <laughs> yeah, then I got the 10 and a half, which is a 21 millimeter equivalent. And now I shoot on the 15 to 35 full frame. So it's just legit 15 millimeters. And, um, you know, it's way wider. So, but yeah, you can, you can make a vlog with any, with any lens, you know, throw a 50 on yeah. there and, uh, and figure it out. <laughs> what do you, now that you're on the EOS R versus the GH5 and, and with the GH5, you're shooting full manual, those Voigtlander lenses, if you're not familiar, are these beautiful lenses that have crazy apertures, like 0 0.95 on those apertures. Um, yeah. but they're full manual, just metal, literally no electronic contact at all. I don't think, um, yeah. Versus now the ESR with, you know, best autofocus in the game. Uh, the box just tracks your face. It's full frame. Right. I mean, what, what do right. you, do you think you, you, sh you waited too long? Do you, do you, are you happy with, with, uh, the GH5? Do you miss the GH5 a little bit? I still use the GH5 for a lot of a lot of stuff and especially client stuff. Yeah. Um, but the the great thing about the the autofocus and the the ESR is just how easy it is. It makes it a little bit easier, I think, to just to just hit record and start vlogging. Yeah. Um, so I like that. Like, but still have it have a look that I like. Right. Like. Obviously, I could have just gotten like a G7X or something, and that would have had autofocus. But like, really, kind of, it kind of always feels like everything's in focus. Like vlog on a GoPro, like that would be maybe easier. But um, so e the ease mixed with still having it look the way I want to, um, I really, I really like yeah. that about the ESR. I think it's important to learn the mechanics of manual focusing and composition and using a more uh, manual camera like the GH5. Again, 
this is coming from an old geezer who used the 5D Mark II and the 7D. But right. I, I'm thankful that I kind of started my career in that era because I really got to understand what shutter speed is and what aperture is and how to manually focus and understand the mechanics of those things. Um, and now when I pick up a camera that has more automatic functions, I still have that foundational understanding of how a camera works and understand composition and all those things. Um, I think Casey Neistat, when he was doing his vlogs, really showed the world that um, vlogging can be its own cinematic art form in its own way because mm-hmm. um, he had this kind of intentional scrappiness to it and he was shooting on a DSLR, so he had some depth of field and stuff, but uh, shooting on the kit lens, mostly in the auto mode and uh, you know the audio was fine. He had like an on-camera mic, but it wasn't perfect by any means. Um, he was kind of pushing the boundaries of like what's acceptable, but also still pushing it to higher quality. And yeah. when you watch his films, the editing is amazing. And you can also see that he understands uh, composition. He might, mm-hmm. he might not even understand, he might not even be aware of it when he's doing it. Cause it's so second nature. But if you just pause the frame on some of those vlog shots, you can tell there's, it's a balanced image composition. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, th- I really do think that that, um, it's so funny that we're talking about this. I've been, I like wrote an idea down a couple months or years ago about like, um, you know, what, like a blog post, like what do you think Casey Neistat means when he says he made vlogging cinematic? And I think the, I think the, the main thing is actually story, like a story arc. I think it's really much less about anything about how that image looked, though I do agree he balances a lot of his shots from a compositional standpoint. And and he made some video where he kind of explained some of this, um, like his first vlog that he made, and he's like in a hotel, and the way he sets up the shots, he explains it a little bit. So there is that component of it, but the majority of the reason why a Casey Neistat vlog is a Casey Neistat vlog and what I think is the most cinematic thing about it is the fact that he incorporated that story. So, hot hot take. Absolutely. He, he did an act one, act two, act three in every piece. And, uh, you know, David Dobrik is doing that in his own way with his his style as well. Kind of the modern jackass of YouTube. Um, yeah, right. Yeah. And uh, I'm curious. I mean, I don't know about you, but I've just been kind of dreaming and thinking about, well, what's next? You know, somebody's mm-hmm. going to, I guess, Mr. Beast was kind of next in a way, at least mm-hmm, on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Um, he's telling stories in his own way and getting unbelievable uh, click-through rate <laughs> because it's, yeah, right. you, you really go down to the core of what people want to click on. If you say, first one to drop a dollar gets to keep it, nobody wants to watch it. First one to drop $20 gets to keep it, nobody wants to watch it. First one to drop a million-dollar check gets to keep it. I want to watch that. <laughs> so yeah, right, you just, right. You just up the ante enough to where... Uh, you know, it's unbelievable. You can't help but watch it. Um, mm-hmm. And what but, do you have to I say mean, about that? Yeah, I mean, and again, talk about story structure and and arc. Like Mr. Beast understands that in all of those, in every single one of his videos. And one of my favorite, actually, my favorite video that Mr. Beast ever released was just recently, um, and it was all the videos that he could never release. He was kind of like reviewing and showing us all these videos that he made that he never put on the channel. And 
it's kind of like the exact opposite of how I started my channel where it was just like something has to go up, just post a video because the, there needs to be a vlog. Whereas Mr. Beast would spend $90,000 trying to make and execute a video and it, and it wasn't, it didn't hit, it wasn't perfect in the ways that it needed to be perfect and therefore it didn't get on the channel. And I was like, just watching it in, in all of, you know, and we're not, I'm not talking about hitting focus. I'm not talking about the audio sounds good. I'm not any of that stuff. Mr. I'm sure Mr. Beast wants that stuff to work, but the, that's not the, that's not the most compelling thing for him. The most compelling thing for him is again, the, the hook and then the watch time and then yeah. the payoff and all of that stuff. Like if he doesn't have a video that fits the formula it needs to fit, he's not going to put it up. Mm -hmm. And his commitment to that is just so amazingly incredible. I love to see it. So yeah, yeah, Mr. Beast. Um, yeah, the, yeah, the video. Well, I don't really. The video you're referring to, by the way, is called "Videos I Could Not Upload." Mm-hmm. Um, it's got a got a couple million views, maybe like twelve or something, thirty. It's only got, million... it's only got eighteen million views on it. Only yeah. eighteen. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, he's uh I, in my interview with uh, Maddie, he said something that really stood out to me. Um, at least the way Maddie looks at it is YouTube is math and science. It's not art class, which mm. that kind of goes up against what uh, a lot of artists on YouTube would say. Um, my friend Josh Yo from Make Art Now, he really views his channel as um, a place for him to upload films that he makes that he's very mm -hmm. proud of and uh, he, the way that he's told me on the show that he likes to see it is it, before he hits upload, he has to, he has to be proud of it as a filmmaker mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. he po and, and because of that, he posts about once a month if he's lucky, mm -hmm. um, you know, versus Maddie was saying, you know, it's, it's a math equation. If you review things that are popular, if you talk about things that people want to know about, if you, if you have clickable thumbnails and titles, then mathematically you will grow and you can make money so yeah. and then obviously mr beast i think is definitely a, a mathematician when it comes to youtube it's a formula it's a an experiment and he's mathematically playing the game right what do you have to, how do you look at youtube yeah i think of it as you know it is yes to all of those things it it is an art it is a science it is math it it's really it's a business it's for fun it's a hobby it's it's beautiful in that it, it is whatever you want it to be and um you know i think growing on youtube is there is a formula or a science or math to growing on youtube mm -hmm. but just being on youtube and enjoying being a part of the community on YouTube, that can very much just be an art, you know? Yeah. And um, and so, yeah, that, that's where I fall. Is That's what I love about it. I think, I think the, you know, Josh Yo, he does in many ways, like we just all have our own understanding of what makes a video worthy of being on the channel or yeah. or not you know and the thing with um josh's work is that it does meet kind of the mathematical or the scientific 
formula required for growth. Sure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> in in a sense, right? So it's like it's like he's an artist that we're all willing and wanting to watch grow. And so that's kind of part of his formula or or maybe we should go as so far as to say algorithm, right? So everyone has their own take and it and yeah, it's and who knows totally. what's gonna be successful in the in the months to come yeah it's not like how um i don't know if you ever followed people on vimeo but there were people that i would follow that were directors and cinematographers and maybe once a month they would post something um and it it'd be completely different you know one would be a voiceover cinematic commercial thing and then the next is a short film or whatever um Mm -hmm. that would be considered you know a filmmaker who's bouncing from one story to the next not related to one another and just telling stories versus Mm -hmm. Josh Yeo, who every video he's making does relate to uh, creators and filmmakers and reviewing some sort of piece of gear or equipment. So Mm -hmm. within, within the films he's making, they do fit inside of an algorithmic uh, growth strategy. So you're right. Yeah. Um, He's still in a niche, you know, versus just bouncing around, you know, to different ideas. Yeah. And and I think Becky Peckham, who I who I think you recently had on the on the pod, she's another example of a filmmaker who is hundred percent an artist, yeah. right? Like, but it's like we all wanna see her art. Like she's she's built it to the point where whether she's making a helicopter travel docu-series or whether she's redoing her basement in her house even though those are two, you know, that's very, they're almost completely opposite niches, right? Opposite genres. We still all want to watch because of um, her art and her style and the way that she conveys message and that sort of thing. So yeah, Yeah. it's just, it's It's a personality driven channel instead of just the one content niche. So yeah who even knows what it is it's it's a mystery I know. It, it, it really it's is a mystery <laughs> it's a, i love it yeah it's fun <laughs> speaking of mysteries have you uh opened up a tiktok account and played around with tiktok yeah bro tell me yeah, about tiktok is tell me about tiktok is a, i got i when tiktok came out i slept on it for a year uh-huh. and then got an account and started making some videos my first one that popped and got like two or three hundred thousand views was um, unboxing yeah. a, an iPhone, and I did it in like this uh, super object tracked way, like a Daniel Schiffer object tracking way, uh-huh. and uh, that one popped. And then I did some AirPods ones that popped. I did one when the uh, Tesla Cybertruck came out. I did a kind of spoof skit one on that that popped. So yeah, I mean, <laughs> awesome. I, I love TikTok. I there was a time when I was watching like six hours of TikTok a day when I was really trying to figure out like, yeah, okay, what does it look like to create stuff here? Um, and now I very rarely open the app on my phone, but if I ever allowed myself, I could easily start watching eight hours of it a day. It's yeah. it's amazing storytelling, short form storytelling. I think it's really interesting for all of us uh, creators to be keeping an eye out on it and um, and to just go for it. Um, Gary V says it's free real estate right now, and uh, mm-hmm. 
you know, I think I heard a statistic that the viewership has gone up 40% during the pandemic. So, oh my goodness, the app, wow. the app has been downloaded uh, even more than ever. There's more viewership, more eyeballs there more than ever. And then that is amazing. Um, the 2020 growth strategy for TikTok from their perspective corporately is to uh, value uh, individual creators over um, people just following trends and stuff because TikTok mm-hmm. has kind of always been about finding a popping song and, you know, just doing a dance collab or something about whatever's trending inside the yeah. app, which a lot, which basically makes a ton of copycats. Um, and because TikTok wants to compete with YouTube and Instagram, um, they're actually promoting and valuing uh, creators who are, are original. Um, so now's the best time, you know, to get on there. So if you don't have an account, just open it up. Just play with the app. I think a lot of people um, just play around. Yeah, they don't really know what it is. So just open it up and see, and uh, you can you can start to find creators on there who um, are really smart and they're doing amazing things. Um, mm-hmm. I actually I, th- I don't remember if it was on Twitter or something. I saw somebody quote uh, Stanley Kubrick said uh, that he loved watching beer and. Uh, wine commercials because of their ability to tell a story within two minutes and, yeah, yeah. Uh, or something. I think I saw that on Twitter yesterday. And uh, yeah, the same is true with TikTok. It's like if you're given 60 seconds to tell a story and I've actually liked and, and followed a couple of people who are able to do a full story arc within 60 seconds. It's nuts. Yep. Yep. It's a good way to hone your skills. <laughs> hone them. Yep. Um, so you're speaking, uh, in that type of stuff when it comes to, uh, to that part of your career, do you still do that? Or, or, I mean, obviously you're not going out and doing events now, but. Right. Yeah. I had a couple of events get canceled, unfortunately, uh, when the, when the pandemic hit, but you know, it's, it's all, it's all good. I'm, I'm happy. I'm the health of everybody is way more important. Right. But, um, yeah, still doing it. I, I actually my last trip that I did before we started staying home was to Belfast, Northern Ireland, and I spoke at the Only Just Media Summit. Um, but yeah, something I'm super open to and, and love to do. Isn't it great just meeting people face to face and uh, you know getting to interact with them and uh, answer their questions in person? That's the best. Yeah. Wasn't that a wonderful thing? <laughs> <laughs> may it may it rest in peace. <laughs> Shaking hands, exchanging yeah. spit with each other. Right. Uh, the old spit exchange. Yeah, yeah. That, that won't come back. Um, so let's look to the future here. Um, what What is just some of your goals? I mean, if, if you can share any, what are some things that you're looking forward to with your career on YouTube? I mean, daily yeah. vlogs are not um, part of your, your workflow anymore. And I don't think, I think most people have, have changed from that, but, Mm -hmm. um, what's kind of your, your goals and what are are you trying to to hit for this year and in the next five years? Yeah, I really want to continue to encourage freelancers who are trying to use video production to, to make money, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and so maybe doing that in a bit more of a series format with, um, you know, something that feels almost a little bit more like a TV show, but is still very encouraging and, and there's teaching moments in there and there's, mm-hmm. you know, there's value to drop, but in a way that's 
that's really compelling. Um, that's, that's my main focus. And then of course I want to continue to look at new gear and get the EOS R5 when it comes out and mess around, <laughs> okay. and, you know, like all of that stuff. I, I love the, I love the technical side of filmmaking. So that'll always be a part of my channel, but I would love to make more story based teaching moments that are exciting and encouraging for freelancers. How do you balance this? I mean, you've got a wife and kids, so how do you balance your, your home life with your work life? Yeah, for me, I always say it's not so much about balance as it is about focus. So when you, I started to get that feeling in my gut, like, okay, I focused a bit too much on family and just chilling and staying home and eating lunch and doing all the stuff with my family. Okay, then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shift my focus a bit. I'm going to go over here to what I'm making, what I'm creating, yeah. the businesses I'm building, and then vice versa, you know, just, just focus and, and let kind of my gut be the guide of, of where the, the focus needs to be at the time. And then also my wonderful wife, Amber has a really good, um, kind of measurement of that as well. And she's, she, you know, we have, uh, our, our communication lines are, are, uh, our most important asset as a relationship, right? So yeah. she's always willing to tell me if if uh, if something needs to change, you know. So really, just staying on top of it. But yeah, it's I'm a I'm a hundred percent all in type person. So just go all in on family and go all in on your business and go all in on your hobbies and your creativity and and just keep doing that until something needs to change and then change it. So what is what does your workflow look like? Do you do you have a kind of nine to five schedule? You mentioned that, you know, your communication with your wife and the back and forth, is it kind of more like you work two or three days out of the week and then you take a couple of days off with the fam or do you kind of just spread that out over a normal work week? What works best for you? Yeah. Uh, and so in normal non pandemic times, uh, it's <laughs> yeah. a bit, it's a bit more like that, but it might be like work straight for two weeks and like I'm flying somewhere, uh, you know, I'm away. Um, and then, and then come home, be home, and try to just really be home. Yeah. Um, but yeah, now it's it's actually been so good where it's like lunch every day with the family, dinner every day with the family. Yeah. Um, the I'd say the harder part now is just like, you know, I've had to switch from a shotgun mic on top of my camera to a lavalier mic, right? Because it picks up a bit less of the uh -huh. kids playing or or doing whatever the kids are doing. Um, so the harder part now is just finding time to really kind of get in the zone, get focused and work. And then also I'm working out of my bedroom, yeah. which I'm a very, I'm a very spatial person. So that's making it both harder to sleep at night as well as harder to work during the day because bedrooms are made for sleeping, um, <laughs> and not for, not for this sort of working. So, yeah. So I, I think, uh, yeah. I think there's definitely been some challenges now, but it's, it's been great in terms of family time and, and focusing on family. Yeah. I see your camera in the back of your shot there, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. so now your cameras have infiltrated your bedroom. So, right. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> it's all just one thing now that's all swirling together. It's easy to do that when you're a bachelor and you live by yourself, but when you have a wife and <laughs> harder, it's a little harder. Yeah. yeah. She, my yeah. wife all the time, she's like, why is the kitchen table filled with lenses and microphones right now? It's like, uh, 
I don't know. My brain is just all over the place. <laughs> right. Because I don't know where they're supposed to go and I need to make <laughs> this video. Yeah. We need some. And it happens on our dining room table. We need some uh, Marie Kondo uh, minimalistic uh, yeah. people up, up in does here. This, does this camera body bring you joy? Okay, <laughs> then let it go. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> what is your What does your video process look like? I'm just curious as a creator myself what, what it looks like for you to create a video. Do you script? Do you create bullet points? Do you kind of just make it up as you go? Um, yeah, for for vlogs, I really just make it up as I go, um, and just kind of like let the let my life dictate the action of the vlog. And then, if there's a good story that starts to develop, start to follow that story. But yeah, when it comes to something that needs a little bit more structure, I don't normally script. Though sometimes I will write like word for word two lines and then I'll I'll read the two lines and then I'll think about them and then I'll try to say them into the camera but um yeah I think uh I think then the majority of my videos mostly come from kind of bullet pointed outline style yeah because like uh, one of your most recent videos is a top 10 final cut pro x uh tutorial shortcut thing so I would yep. assume that you probably made bullet points on that, right? Yep, bullet yeah. pointed that, and then um, it was messy bullet points. And I was, what's funny is like no one mentioned this in the comments of that video, but there's like there's more than ten. <laughs> there's many more than ten that I talk about uh -huh. um, because like as I'm going, I'm thinking of oh well that really should be mentioned, but no one wants to watch a top eighteen shortcuts. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. So I just left the top ten. That's it's actually pretty funny. Do you think about your thumbnails before you shoot or is that an afterthought or like what's your uh, thumbnail strategy? I'd say strategy? The, ma the majority of the time it's it's an afterthought. It's like I'm uploading a video. I'm like, ah, need a thumbnail, which I know, Mr. Beast, <laughs> I know that's the wrong way to do it. But um, there are there is maybe 10 or 20 percent of the time where I think of the title. I normally think of the title for every video first. Yeah. And then once the title's kicking around in my head, I might sometimes start kicking around thumbnail ideas and then try to execute them. But most of the time I'm, uh, I'm thinking of thumbnails after the fact, unfortunately. No, I like, I like having a, at least a rough title idea in mind before you go for it. That way you, you, you really are able to kind of make a video after that's done. Um, mm -hmm. we interviewed, uh, Matt Gonzalez, who is the creative director for, um, John Rettinger from, uh, you know, previously Techno Buffalo. Uh, mm -hmm. It's got, you know, like 2 million subscribers or something and they do tech uh, videos. And he said they'll they'll just sit around at a, in a conference meeting and they'll just throw around title ideas. And he's like, we know we can make a video, but yeah, once we land on a title that we, we really like, then we work backwards and, and make the video about the title. <laughs> yep. So, yep, um, exactly. I think that's an effective way to uh, to create if you're a YouTuber. 100%. And it's an effective way to make sure that you're delivering on whatever you're telling people you're going to deliver on. If you know the title ahead of time, you know, you have less of a chance of getting accused of clickbait. Yeah, exactly. And that's, again, why Mr. Beast is so successful. His titles are unbelievable, but he always, mm -hmm. he, he always delivers, yeah. <laughs> which is insane. Yeah. Um, off topic. Well, not really, but like, have you ever thought about doing a podcast? Uh, yeah. Yeah, my, we started a day, my friend Willie Morris and I started a daily podcast project um, 
last year, in the beginning of last year, and we did like 78 episodes, just real short calls um, between the two of us. And I, I enjoyed it. I think it was it was just more work than I thought it was going to be, which is how literally everything in the world is. But, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I really enjoyed it and I would consider it again. But I need to think of a format that makes it a little bit more, you know, more accessible, more easier for me to handle. Yeah, the totally. creation of. Yeah. Well, to, uh, to kind of close this out, I'd love for you to just give us... Um, your advice to somebody who who comes up to you and says, Cody, I'm so inspired by you. I want to do what you're doing. I want to be a, a full-time creator on the internet. How do I do it? How do I get started? Because you give us yeah. um, the Cody Warner, uh, you know, lowdown on how to get started as a creator. Yeah. At first, you're going to, what you're going to do, I'm assuming you don't have any camera or, or anything like that. You're going to get your phone out of your pocket. You're going to start doing video logs of your thoughts, your feelings on what's going on during the day. Sometimes if something interesting is happening, start getting into the habit of pulling out your phone and capturing it and start cutting that into interesting little stories. Um, and then and then beyond that, then you can start upgrading your gear. You can start um, thinking of different messages that you want to tell in your in your vlogs or in your videos. You can start thinking about what am I interested in what do I want to make videos about and then start making those videos. But the key to all of that is starting. I couldn't agree more, Cody. Thank you so much for being on uh, the Golden Hour podcast. It was a pleasure to talk to you here and uh, to get to know you better. And uh, yeah, thanks again for being on the show, man. Of course, man. Thanks so much for having me. I hope you guys enjoyed my conversation with Cody Warner. If you did, would you consider leaving a rating and review in the Apple podcast player? Ratings and reviews really help grow this show, and if you would kindly take your time to review this podcast, it would really help us out. Once again, I'm Dave Mays. You can follow me on Twitter at Dave Mays. This is the Golden Hour Podcast, produced by the Polar Pro Studio, and we will see you next week.